Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're gonna show multiple gods all over the earth, to be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converged into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is Uncomfortable. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Now, some of you might be put off. I've, I get messages from people that have these small little sightings or small little experiences. I still want to hear them. And if it's not quite enough to make a full episode out of it, Get a hold of me. I'd like to record it, and I'll put it in a file, and then when I get several things together, we'll just put together a hodgepodge of different experiences and release that as a show. So please, don't be put off if you don't think your experience or your story is long enough to come on the podcast. I want to hear everything. That being said, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65 most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. That is so important in getting the show out in front of more people in the algorithms that produce recommended listens for people. If you have not yet joined the Discord server, please do. We would love to see you in there. You can find the link for that down in the show notes. It's been a lot of fun. I encourage you to get involved. Again, We'd love to see you there. Now, tonight's guest. What can I say about tonight's guest? A very accomplished woman. Tonight's guest is Amy Boo, 
co-founder of Project Zoo Book, member of the Olympic Project Bigfoot Research Team. She's the head of Amy's Bucket List Expeditions, former investigator for Bigfoot Field Research Organization, the BFRO. She's a writer, educator, and editor from Ohio. She became interested in the search for Bigfoot after seeing something strange in Ohio's Mahoning County in 2012. While her main research areas are the Forest County, Pennsylvania, its Allegheny National Forest, and Ohio's Columbiana County. Amy has traveled into Michigan, New York State, Kentucky, Oregon, Washington State, West Virginia, Texas, Arkansas, and all over Ohio. Much of Amy's efforts have been put into her Project Zoo Book, a group she co-founded and coordinates comprised of primate zookeepers, primatologists, wildlife biologists, marine biologists, forest workers, forestry workers, archaeologists, anthropologists, university professors, law enforcement officials, taxonomists, and other scientists working alongside Bigfoot researchers from across the country. Man, if that's not a mouthful. And if that's not all, her bio reads like a grocery list of additional things. I will post that in the notes. It's too extensive to go into here. If you guys are ready, I know I am. Let's get into it. Now, if you will, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Miss Amy Boo. Amy, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've heard your name for for a few years now. It's been it's been around. Um, how long have you been doing this? I what year is it? Twenty twenty three. I have been interested in Bigfoot since two thousand twelve. Like really interested in mm-hmm. Bigfoot. Um, you know, heard about it and all that kind of stuff. Before that, as has everyone pretty much who who lives in America, but um, wasn't caught up in it or interested at all until about and then a half years ago. Well, you know, you're you're doing speaking engagements and mm-hmm. and you're you're heading you're you're part of the Olympic Olympic project, um, which anybody who is knows anything about Bigfootery is going to know recognize that. Um, so you've. You've kind of, I mean, since 2012, you've kind of been on the fast track, as it were, um, to get to, to where you are and what you're doing now. And uh, I, I, th- I think that's really interesting because, you know, sometimes you talk to, and here's another part of, of why I'm really interested in talking to some of the, the female side of Bigfoot investigation. Um, you know, like my show, I cover all of high strangeness. So typically, Bigfoot, I end up having an interview with a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And typically, yeah. if, it's, uh, if it's something to do with spirituality or a witch or, or something of that nature, it always ends up being a female. And mm-hmm. it's not by design. It, it just seems to be the way things roll out to me. Um, right. But, you know, I've, I've tried getting a hold of... Mariah Mayer, and you know, I'm sure she is extraordinarily busy. And why would she want to mess with a, a small town podcast like this? But, um, 
you know, I'm really, really interested in getting a different perspective on it. And I think the, the information that you have is just as valuable as, you know, any other researcher. I mean, you just pretty much take gender completely out of it. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to get into, you know, back in 2012, what prompted you? What was the impetus behind you, you getting interested? Was there an occurrence? Uh, I know there was, but you know, for the, for the, uh, for the listeners, if you wouldn't mind, um, getting into that and then let's get into some of your background as far as, you know, working your way into being a naturalist and, um, your position there in, in Ohio. Um, I know one of the interviews I listened to, you, uh, you said you used to spend some time at, uh, near the Ohio Bigfoot conference, uh, held there at Salt Fork state park. Um, and that's, that's a pretty interesting area because, you know, Ohio is a, is a recognized as a, a hot spot, you know, and even over there into Pennsylvania and that whole east side. I mean, I, I've talked with, uh, Mike Famelant from, uh, Shadow of the Big Red Eye out there and he's in Jersey for, of all places, <laughs> you know, he's, he's tracking them up in, in Northern Jersey. So, um, go ahead and tell everybody what, what started this all for you. Sure. And for what it's worth, I think it's crazy all the things I'm doing right now, too. It's just like Bigfoot's kind of taken over my life in some ways. But um, yeah, it all started back in 2012. I was a passenger in a car going over Meander Reservoir, which is in Mahoning County, Ohio. And I always say was the last thing on my mind because I had just been to see my father before he died. and it was the, really the last time I got to talk to him and I knew he was very sick you know we weren't sure what was going to happen there so Bigfoot was not on my brain um, but I looked out the window as we were going over this bridge that I've gone over so many times before and I saw something standing along the shoreline and what caught, what drew my attention there was there's these big blocks in the water. And there's oftentimes like seabirds, even though we're in Ohio, that are flying around on them and sitting on them. And I've seen those my whole life, those birds. But this time, the one that was closest to the block that was closest to the shore, there were all these birds flying all over the place, just making like a crazy ruckus out there. And so my eye was drawn to that. I hadn't really seen that before. And as I looked um, toward them, I, my eye was drawn over to the left of that on the shore. like Because so, that was the closest to, to the shore, if I didn't already say that. Anyway, there was a figure standing there. And I was like, well, that's really weird because I've never ever seen anybody in meander reservoir and there's all like a bunch of jokes about that because everybody wants in there to fish you know everybody would love to go in there but it is the city's water supply and so you're not allowed in there and um i'm like huh you know somebody's there but as we were getting closer and this all you know didn't take very long it's not a huge bridge or anything but as we were getting closer i'm looking at it 
And I'm like, that does not look like a person. I'm saying this internally. And I'm staring at it. I, you know, just what is that? And the closest we got was probably about 100 yards. And I'm horrible at distances. Somebody else told me that it was probably 100 yards afterwards when I was telling them where it was. And so, you know, people often ask me if I've had Bigfoot sightings and what, you know, what prompted my interest. And I'm like, I don't know what it was. I don't know. I cannot claim that that was a Bigfoot sighting. But what I will tell you is it looked to me like what Bigfoot would look like if you were looking at Bigfoot from that distance standing there. Because it was all um, one color, like a dark color. Um, no variation for clothing. And when I think of a football field, I think, you know, I think about that hundred yard distance and I think I'd be able to tell, even though it's far, I think I'd be able to tell a person, you know, like that they were wearing jeans or whatever and that they were a human being, but you know, I didn't see any evidence of clothing. Um, I knew it was alive and not some kind of a cutout or something like that because it was holding on to a, tree and then it moved like it moved looking what I interpreted as looking out toward those birds like it was facing that way so it did move it didn't walk or anything like that it was just standing there and you know I'm just staring at it thinking what in the world is that and as we drove by I yelled out I think I just saw Bigfoot you know, and then I and then I was like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> but that's what it looked like to me. So um, the driver didn't. What was what was the reaction from the rest of the passengers when you said that? Well, my daughter was lying down in the back seat. She didn't see anything. My ex-husband was driving and he's just like, OK, <laughs> he didn't see it. You know, I never said anything as we were going toward it. Cause I was just like, what, what is that? You know, like just couldn't process it really. And then after I yelled it, you know, and I'm like pretty much right away thought that was really dumb, that could, there's no such thing as Bigfoot. And if there was such a thing as Bigfoot, it wouldn't be there. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he thought that I was like mistaken, <laughs> although he humored me and everything, but, um, you know, I don't know what it was, but it was significant enough that it, I called my mom pretty quickly after that. I'm like, Mom, I think I saw Bigfoot. And, and I always will say that that whatever that was, it was the impetus that made me start looking into this. So I don't know what it was. I can't say for sure, but it struck me and affected me enough that it really changed my life. I don't know how else to say that because it sent me down this rabbit hole that I never, never would have thought I would ever go down or be speaking about or researching or anything like that. So, um, sure. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that was, but it is absolutely the thing that got me started in this because I can't, I, I can't get that out of my head. I still think about what that was that I saw. And now that I talk to other people and get other people's reports, I've had several reports from that same area. 
Oh, and really? That same, that same, that same water right, source, that same water source. And, um, people that have said they've seen things way up close. Like there's one lady who said she saw one there with a duck in its mouth, you know, and, um, was really? sure of what she saw. So, um, with a duck yeah, in its mouth. I know that's the first time I heard something like that. And somebody saw one close to there holding a dead deer. Um, so there've been a lot of sightings in that area. I just I had no clue at that time. I didn't, I didn't know that anybody really thought Bigfoot was real Yeah, you know, like that or that it could be. I just had no concept of any of this. So it was just a big shock. So up until that point, Bigfoot was not on your radar at all for the most part. Not at all. I mean, I, you know, I feel like pretty typical person where I used to watch in search of when I was younger, I saw Harry and the Hendersons, you know, <laughs> um, I did a report when I was in school, a uh, young teenager about the Loch Ness monster. I did too. And, <laughs> you did? Yes. <laughs> I did had us do one on like something we weren't sure if we believed in it or not so I chose that and I do remember there was like one book in the library at school and it did have a chapter about Bigfoot but I never read it so no I just it was not on my radar not something I was interested in at all so whatever that was that I saw Bigfoot or not it really it sent me into this uh crazy new hobby if you want to call it that or passion or quest or whatever that I never would have thought I would have so it's crazy it's crazy the number of people that I have talked to who have brought up that same book and that being one of their first experiences with because the book that we had in our in our school I want to say that it was like it was a, a thinner book um, like a, the, like a yes. pocketbook and half of it was about Bigfoot and half of it was about the Loch Ness Monster. Yes. yes I don't yeah. remember the name of it in my brain. I want to say like it was something like, not like time life, but something like that. Maybe, I don't know, but I just remember it was a very thin book yeah. and yeah, there was Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, maybe the Yeti, you know, I, I can't remember because I just read the Loch Ness Monster part because I had to write a report. And we didn't have the internet back then. Right. Yeah, we did not. Um, I think in in ways, you know, obviously it's, you've got everything at your fingertips now, which is great and, and a huge time saver. But um, I think it makes for lazy people because we used to have to um, actually crack open books and, and yes. you know, that yes. I don't know. As a language teacher, it's always an uphill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you have this sighting of this thing that you that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, you're you're not really able to relate it to anything else you've seen. Um, and and what happens then? What what happens that that tweaks your interest so hard that you you end up going and becoming a member of one of the the larger Big, bigfoot research projects the Olymp- olympic project um 
you know, I mean, how does that how does that all play out? I mean, there must be a, a tremendous drive there uh, as far as you want to find answers or, or at least help be a part of um, an investigative team. Right. Well, I. Yeah, there's definitely a path that happened, and it's kind of funny you put it that way, because. I often tell my friends that like, I feel like this path kind of opened. <laughs> um, like, like I've had a lot of opportunities that have come my way that I never would have expected. So part of it is a lot, a lot, a lot of time and hard work. And part of it is whether you want to say luck or blessings or whatever um, that have opened doors to me. But what happened basically is, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that thing I had seen. And by that time, uh, we did have the internet. <laughs> so I started searching like Bigfoot, okay, and Bigfoot sightings and Bigfoot Ohio and <laughs> just all these different things. And I was absolutely shocked about how much information there was and about that there's this whole thing like this whole Bigfoot phenomenon going on that I've never was aware of before so kind of it started partly as a human interest type of thing like what in the world are these people doing or what what are they saying they've seen you know could this actually have any kind of truth in it um and partly I just got hooked in the um excitement of it I guess I you know I started the first thing I did I think you asked the first thing I did was I started reading mm -hmm. I I read a lot of things online and different reports and things but I mostly started going to the library and getting all the books that I could possibly find about it so I right away went to some really good sources you know um Dr. Meldrum's book and Dr. Um, things from Dr. Bindernagel and things from Grover Krantz and all of the people who um, were looking at this from a scientific viewpoint, which I am not a scientist, but I, that's kind of how I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, wow, like these really smart people are saying that some of them are saying that it's possible that these exist. And some of them are saying that they really believe that these exist. So I started reading everything I could. Then I started going to see other people who would speak about it. And it's funny now, you know, that's something that I do at libraries and different things like that, because I started going like showing up and be kind of in the back of these talks, just listening, listening to the different witnesses give their reports. And it always struck me that when you hear a real life person, you know, tell their story, a lot of them were very believable. Yeah. And, and I just was surprised by that. I'm like, man, these people don't seem like nutcases or anything <laughs> like that. They don't seem like they're, you know, just way out there. They seem like normal people. Yeah. So I just read as much as I could. I started going to hear other people. Um, and it just kind of evolved from there. 
Well, you know, you talk about speaking in front of people, you know, libraries and, and stuff like that. Um, I had an opportunity and, and this was already in the mix. I was already planning on doing this. I hosted Bigfoot and Brews, uh, oh. this, this past September in, uh, in the Dewey Lake monster area. It's, it's okay. a brewery that's right there in sister lakes. And, you know, we were a mere mile and a half away from where the, the sightings were from 64. But prior to that, um, a couple of months before that in mid spring, I think it was, I was asked to come up to the West branch, uh, Bigfoot discovery days. And, and the, I was asked if I would host the, uh, the town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> excuse me. That's exactly uh, what I ran into with speaking with, you know, four, four gentlemen that, that came up and very normal people. They're not, they're not weirdos. They're not eccentric. They're not, uh, you know, they were just normal people. And uh, in my episode two and three, I got to interview a family that is, merely 20 minutes away from my house, just over the Michigan state line. And, uh, that interview was, it was really, really amazing. You know, I, I actually knew the gentleman well enough that he invited me to his home and we sat at his dining room table to do that interview. And I sat across from him and his two daughters and I looked at them in the eye the whole time we talked, you know, and I saw the body language. I saw, uh, I didn't see their eyes darting around looking for, oh, my God, what am I going to say next? There was none of that. It was very, very organic. And, you know, the when we got done, his daughters both gave me a hug and said how how wonderful it was to be able to to talk about every aspect of that without getting interrupted and without getting eyes rolled at you and, you know, making you feel feel weird for it. But the thing that was really, really compelling for me was the, the wife and the mother. Um, she did not want to be a part of the recording, but yet we talked afterwards and I got to hear from her the ramifications of what those three saw and how the one daughter ended up having to to seek therapy because she couldn't get the eyes out of her head. Every time she'd sit down near a piece of paper or a pencil, she'd be drawing these eyes. And, Uh you know, it was, it was very moving. Mm -hmm. And I would put that up against anybody who wants to say, oh, they, they didn't see that, that, that didn't happen, you know? No, I, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying because now that I take a lot of reports and my favorite, I still I still do speak at different Bigfoot events. Um, I think that West Branch one was the one I was just recently asked to speak at, but it's the same weekend as another one I'm already doing. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty sure that it was that one. Um, so maybe someday, hopefully, yeah. I can make it there. But um, my favorite thing that I do now is I speak at different outdoor shows. So like hunting and fishing shows, I have several of those coming up here in February and March and beyond. And I get a lot of people who say exactly what you just said, where they 
appreciate being listened to because they're not people that are going to Bigfoot thing, mm-hmm. Bigfoot conferences or anything like that. And they haven't had, some of them have not had the chance to talk to somebody who was even just giving them the benefit of the doubt, let alone saying, you know, I believe you or, right, you know, yeah. this could be real. So I've had grown men that have cried, you know, that have told me about what happened to them and how it affected their entire lives. So I hear you. I hear yeah. you. It's very powerful. And you know, and I saw it on a, on a pretty, a pretty large scale because this family that I was telling you about from episodes two and three, um, you know, it took, it took several times of talking to them, but when they found out that I was hosting Bigfoot and Brews, they wanted to come. And I said, you know, you're going to be around, you're not going to be around trolls. Nobody's going to pay $40 to come sit, listen to a bunch of Bigfoot people talk about Bigfoot and sit there and make fun of them. You know, they'll, they'll get stoned. (laughs) So, um, I said, you know, you guys are more than welcome. Come, you know, you're going to be in, in company of people that are already, um, very interested in this stuff, if not already believing and possibly have already had experiences. So I Mm -hmm. think it'll be a good group for you to be around. And as it got closer, they agreed to get up and talk in front of everybody. And my, my, my main speaker was Ron Moorhead. Wow. I love Ron. He's a great guy. He is. He's a phenomenal guy. I absolutely. He's, I adore him. You know, the time we got to go after it was all over and done with my son and I took him and his son out for dinner and he wouldn't let me pay. And we just to sit at a table and just have normal conversation with Ron Moorhead. Right. He's such a good guy. Was just a, a bizarre it was a it was a bucket list thing that I didn't know I had a bucket yeah. list for. I know um, what you mean. I was out speaking with him in Medellin Falls, Washington this past summer, and we stayed in the same hotel, which was kind of I mean, it had these you each had your own room, but you shared bathrooms and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so like I just see him walking down the hall with his wife and then I was kind of their chauffeur because I had a rental car and they didn't, so we would go around and see the sites and it was just like It's crazy, isn't it? It was. They're just such nice down-to-earth people. Really are. Very pleasant. Very pleasant. But the the thing I guess I was getting at was when, you know, I mean, it was Ron Moorhead. He was the lead speaker at at, at Bigfoot and Brews. And when that family, the, the dad and both daughters, got up and told their story, they stole the show. Yeah. I mean, it was... It was amazing to see, you know, 150 or 160 people sitting there and just glued to every word that they were saying. Right. And even even Ron, even Ron went over and talked to them after they had gotten done. You know, I saw him sitting at their table and and having a conversation about it afterwards. It was truly amazing. Yeah, it's really exciting. I love that. So, where do we go from here? How does how does uh, how does one end up with the Olympic project? And I mean, you know, you're telling me you're you're out speaking 
you know, out in Washington and, and places like that, you're, you're covering, you're covering the U S pretty much. Yeah. I've been, I've been blessed to do so. Um, well, I'll tell you, we'll go in chronological order here. <laughs> um, it's my teacher brain coming out. So, so I got interested, started going to hear other people, um, flash forward a little bit of time, I guess I used to help with some different events and met some people there and, uh, was asked after a few years was asked to join the BFRO in Ohio. So the Bigfoot field researchers organization. Mm-hmm. And I was super excited about that. I knew a lot of really good people in there and I was like, okay, yes, I want to do this. So I joined the BFRO worked with them for several years, um, taking other people's reports. So I kind of got in the trenches there because a lot of, a lot of people that are familiar with the BFRO don't understand or don't realize that there are a lot of reports that are sent in that never see the light of day. And most of those reports don't see the light of day because they, um, like somebody didn't leave their phone number or they can't get a hold of them and they don't put anything out there unless they're vetted. And, you know, you have to actually make contact with the person um, interview them, get more information, you know, and get those out. And so a lot of what I did was kind of cleaning up a lot of backlog, um, reports. So I don't have that many reports that I did that are out on the BFRO's website because I was closing down a lot of reports that never couldn't make it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I spent several years doing that, um, met more people. And um, as far as the Olympic project goes, trying to remember what year it was, thinking 2016 or 2017, I can't remember, but I was at a conference and met a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person named um, Barb Alvera, who was in the Olympic project and the BFRO. And she, we just hit it off. I mean, it was really just kind of fortunate because we hit it off, um, just had a lot in common and she invited me to come out there. So I went kind of as a non-official guest to one of their expeditions they had at the time. And she and I drove up there and fell in love with the research area that they have, the people. I mean, Shane Corson has become one of my best friends. I always say he's almost like a brother to me now. He and his wife, Summer, just have taken me in whenever I travel out there. Um, Derek Randalls is just such a good stand-up guy, and uh, I just love how they tackle this mystery, I guess. Um, never, ever thought that they would ask me to be a part of their, uh, organization. But what happened then was maybe a year went by again. I'm, I'm getting my timing mixed up a little bit, but I had decided to, um, to step away from the BFRO and I decided that I was just going to kind of do things on my own. 
by then I had started my own group called Project Zoo Book, which is my baby. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just my, the thing that I love the most in all of this. And that has taken me from, you know, where I was at that point to this past summer, we took um, several of the Project Zoo Book members, we took a reporter from the Wall Street Journal out and we're uh, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. It's just been crazy, but it's just been like, I don't don't know if I want to call it coincidence again or luck or blessings or just hard work or what it is, but this maybe a little bit of all of it um, has just propelled me forward, I guess. I, 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 so anyway, I, I decided to step away from the BFRO thinking I was never going to join another group. It just kind of wasn't for me. I thought I, I just had my own way of doing things. Um, I felt like, uh, there's just, you know, believe it or not, no matter where human beings gather, there can be drama, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I was like, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. And so, you know, in Bigfoot groups, oh mm-hmm. my God. I know. What a, what a, what a treacherous, horrible, I, horrible hell of a place that some of these Bigfoot Facebook groups and, you know, the, the horror stories yeah. that I've heard of from, from groups of individuals who have tried to, you know, collectively go out like with you know as a group like you're talking about um i i don't know what happens but you know do you think is it is it based on everybody you know gets a gets an ego about themselves and they think they're going to be the next uh, matt moneymaker or the next you know cliff and bobo or you know i mean do they think that if they if they make enough noise that they're just going to get recognized as being, uh, you know, quote unquote expert. We interrupt this broadcast with breaking news. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again, revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new beard hedger pro kit from a beard trim to a fresh shave. The technology behind the beard hedger pro kit allows you to shape your signature look. You can finally use Manscaped products to tame your facial squatchiness by going to manscaped.com and using the code uncomfortable22 for 20% off and free shipping. As below, so above. At long last, gentlemen, you can now tame your mane. No one likes a weird and wild beard, so say goodbye to all your stubble troubles with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. In the spotlight, the Beard Hedger. Let me tell you, this thing is a wild man in fixing your facial ferocities. First off, the cordless trimmer has an adjustable rotary wheel giving you 20 cutting lengths all in one guard. That's right, 20 lengths with just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so disquatchifying yourself is easier than ever in the shower. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough enough on hair but smooth on your face with efficiency and satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has the beard shampoo and conditioner, specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, apply Manscaped's beard oil. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. This oil relieves dryness on both the beard and the skin beneath, while adding a shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Finally, top off with Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, stops
styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look sure to attract any species of mate. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is impressive for anyone's sisters or misters. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNCOMFORTABLE22 when you visit manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code UNCOMFORTABLE22. Manscaped. Beard header. One stroke. One guard. The Eufy Video Lock takes the place of separate smart locks, security cameras, and doorbells all in one simple to install unit. A Phillips screwdriver was all I needed. The Eufy 330 Video Lock took me 20 minutes to install and there is no hard wiring necessary as it's powered by a 4-month rechargeable 10,000 mAh battery. The Eufy Video Locks are complete with fingerprint technology, passcode entry, physical keys, and free local storage for crystal clear 2K video. There is absolutely no contract nor the need for costly monthly monitoring subscriptions. The free Wi-Fi driven iOS and Android compatible apps let you have full control over your new Eufy video lock system in just a few clicks. Convenience and security are extremely important and the Eufy video lock delivers on both. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock. Because as the host of Uncomfortable Podcast, you just never know who or what will wind up at your front door. Visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock and get yours now. That's eufy, E-U-F-Y. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I think part of it is that for some people, I mean, I have, I'll just say it, like I almost got out of it a few years back because it was so stressful. You know, when I started speaking, people came out of the woodwork, like, how dare you have anything to say? You haven't been doing this long enough. And, you know, you, you can't be doing this. And, you know, and I was just so taken aback by all of it because I'm like I'm just a normal person (laughs) I'm a teacher from Ohio I never set out to do anything like that but I was asked and I think maybe because I'm a teacher I'm comfortable speaking in front of people and I always enjoyed that so I'm like yeah you know one library asked me and I'm like okay I'll do that and then it just kind of snowballed um and it was never anything like I I still don't think I know more than anybody else. I'm not even 100% convinced that Bigfoot exists. You know, I, I think that they do. I absolutely believe that they could. Some days I'm positive they do. (laughs) And other like, what am I wasting my time on? You know? Um, But I am, I am seriously, I, I lost 
really, really good friends over it. Um, and so I do think that there's this weird phenomenon of people trying to be Bigfoot famous. And what's funny is that I was in Indiana. Um, I had a table at an event in Indiana and there were, you know, people like you're saying, you know, you're talking about Ron Moorhead, you know, Bob Gimlin was there. Um, just all kind of very actually Bigfoot famous people. Sure. <laughs> but we all went to dinner that night and it was just funny to me because everybody's jockeying for these different positions and stuff. And when we walked into that restaurant, nobody in that restaurant knew who Bob Gimlin was, <laughs> you know, like we knew, but nobody else knew who he was. Who's that old and cowboy? <laughs> I know. I mean, oh my gosh, do I love Bob? Just such a wonderful, wonderful person. And he doesn't give a hoot if, whether the people knew him or not. I'm just using him as an example because who could there be more Bigfoot famous than that, you know? But I think people somehow have it in their head that they're really famous. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Bob is. Oh, you absolutely. Know, side of Bigfooting know who Bob is. But most of us who do anything, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. So if you're going to like just be like a horrible human being over who gets to speak here or there or even worse, like people that would say that I had no right to have a voice in it, well, it's pretty crappy, you know, so after after saying all of that because it was really bad it it took me a while to realize like i said before that wherever you have human beings you're gonna have drama it doesn't matter if you have a knitting circle yeah. you know <laughs> it, so it's not just bigfoot um and i had to learn not to take things so personally because you know there, like you said there's different facebook groups that people would just say these horrible things about me. And I'm like, Oh man, if I was that interesting, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm really not. I just made chili for supper and I had to grade a bunch of papers. I'm not, I'm not that interesting to be like, you know what I mean? To be the topic of conversations. Sure. Now, uh, nowadays I just, I'm not in very many groups and I purposely avoid a few of them. So. Can I ask you a question about the BFRO? Yes. I, I posed this question to a still active um, member. Mm -hmm. And apparently in confidence, he told me that the answer to this question was a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. And my question to him was, are there, are you aware of specific types of reports of these things that are being kept out of the public's ability to review them, specifically ones that would include anything that would be considered a violent, um, a violent encounter. And, and, and he said that, yes, that he was aware of reports that have been scrubbed and certain things omitted, or if nothing else, the entire report not being made right. available. Um, 
personally, I cannot remember anything like with violent reports like that. I'm racking my brain here and I can't like we were never told anything like that. Like, don't publish violent reports or I never really came across them. I, I did a lot of read a lot of reports and closed out a lot of reports in Pennsylvania, especially toward the end and in Ohio. And I never I cannot recall any violent reports. Now, if you say um, like more paranormal, mm-hmm. I would say yes. And that's not necessarily like a BFRO thing. It's some of the people in the BFRO thing. So I was told not to try to um, put through anything that sounded a bit off the wall, you know, like something that you just things that seemed less scientific. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I have good friends in the BFRO. I respect them. I don't, you know, I, I just want to say that uh, first of all, was it for me? No. And were some of the people for me? No, <laughs> but again, that, that could be anywhere, but I didn't, I will, I don't know if I've ever said this in an interview before, but I'm going to say it. Why not? I did not agree with that. Um, I look at Bigfoot as a possible primate um, may where it is on the spectrum of all the types of primates. I don't know. I also know that I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. But I also know that there are a lot of people who have experiences that don't kind of fit into that box. Absolutely. And so I didn't feel it was right to exclude those. Um, and again, whether it was just my chain of command, I guess you want to say, that was saying we're not publishing those, we're staying away from those. I don't know. I only am familiar with Ohio and Pennsylvania and what was going on at that time. And things have changed a lot <laughs> since I've been in there and people have changed a lot. But I didn't feel comfortable with that because I felt like I still feel this way. Um, even in Project Zoo Book, we, we are a group of researchers and scientists we're heavy on the scientists but we have people that come in there like ron moorhead mm-hmm. you know a lot of, a lot of what he talks about and believes it doesn't fit very neatly into a mainstream science sure. but what he has to say is very interesting in it and it's just as valid as any other hypothesis you know and i feel like you shouldn't how do I want to say this? I, my interest is, could this be some type of an ape, some type of a primate? That's what keeps me going. Cause I think that would be really, really cool. Right. But if somebody that's researching it differently finds out that that is the truth, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't, I think that would be fascinating, whether it's an alien or something supernatural or whatever, I'm like, that's just as fascinating. It's just not my particular interest. So if that's what it turns out to be, I probably would not be out there looking for it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Because it makes it a little less, uh, a little less natural and a little more scary. Yeah. Yeah, So (laughs) I think I want to do it. I'm just like being honest, but I, I just feel like, like science 
there's so much science that we don't know how it works. And so just because something sounds odd doesn't mean it's not real. So shouldn't we be looking into that? And I just didn't, I just didn't, um, I didn't agree with that, I guess. And so, you know, the Olympic project and project zoo book are both heavy on the science. Um, so I still am very interested in that and that's what we're looking at and that's what we're trying to figure out, you know, what's out there and what isn't out there. But, um, nobody that I know of in those groups like makes fun of other people or anything like that. So I just feel like, I don't know. I think there's room for everybody and I think it's really cool when you have, I have really, really good friends who look at Bigfoot entirely different than I do. And they're very spiritual and all of that. And I think what they're doing is just as valid as what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, you, you said you think that this is, this is a primate. It falls somewhere, somewhere along the lines in with the primate. I'm interested to know if it does. I don't know, but. That's what I, I think it could be. I think it could be. Do you think, do you entertain the thought that it could also be something that is much more closely related to a people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's okay. what I meant. Like, okay. Is it more toward a gorilla or an orangutan or is it more toward a human? Yeah, I'm not, I'm you, not sure. You get, you get reports that sound like one or the other, kind right. of. I tend to I tend to lean towards them being more of a people, mm-hmm. you know those um, those aspects those humanish aspects to to reports, you know now I mean the, you can watch videos of I forget what the uh, the gorilla's name was that uh, understood and could use sign language and yes, Robin yeah. Williams was you know yeah. sitting around <laughs> with her and everything, um, Coco. yeah, yeah I mean. Okay. Right. I think it was Coco. Yeah. You you watch that and she exhibits some human characteristics, mm-hmm. you know, and but you go to a zoo and and watch the the chimps or the gorillas and, and they exhibit some human characteristics as well. They sure do. Yeah. Some of the members of my group are primate specialists and that's what they'll say is that when they first, you know, got to work up close and personal with a gorilla or a chimp, they just couldn't believe how human-like that they are. Yeah. You know, that this really shocked them in some ways. But yeah, I don't know which which it would be more. I what my my very main reason why I think Bigfoot would be real and some days think it is <laughs> is um, all of the Native American mm. story. That's what and I always so, go back to as well. Yes, and so they speak of them as people we we um and some of the project zoo book group got to go to the blackfeet reservation this past summer in montana and um we camped with them and got to hear stories and they took us to different spots where the inamitipi which is my very bad pronunciation of what they call sasquatch um were seen to this day um, so we were right outside Glacier National Park on their land and looking, you know, there was one over there and there was one over there. And um, they call them, you know, their brothers. They call them a, another group of people. 
And it was one of the most moving experiences I've ever had. Um, we were listening to this beautiful um, Blackfeet chanting and singing, and they were talking about how the Inamitipi used to come to their um, like conclaves, if you want to say it, you know, to their meetings. And then when the humans started becoming too modern and leaving the old ways, they went back into the forests, but that they still look over them. You know, I just was sitting up there on that mountain thinking about that and looking at the forests and thinking, wow, like it's just it was magical. I don't know how else to put it, but um, they definitely think of them more as a people. On the flip side of that, when I think about, you know, orangutans or cross river gorillas or mountain gorillas or any of them that really were cryptids not that long ago, mm-hmm. you know, like they, Westerners didn't believe in them. Um, the, the natives there, though, in Africa and Asia called them, you know, people wild men and people of the forest and old man of the forest. And so I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Is, is Sasquatch really more like a human or is that their language? Like, you know, in Africa, they, they would call them wild men. So to them, they were a people, but they really were a gorilla. Does that make sense? Sure. Absolutely. I'm very, very curious about that. I don't know. I don't know which it is, but I'm very curious. That is a very good point. So, I don't know. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? It really is. It is. Really is. And what's what's also fascinating is you still sitting here, um, you know, however many years in to to your your delving into this, and you are still not sure. Uh, it, it's a day-to-day thing for you, whether they, you think that they exist or that they don't. And but the, and the I, but the I bottom like line them. is, you <laughs> spend so much time steeped mm-hmm. into this, and and that's something that I've talked about in other shows. It's like you know you've got Ron Moorhead, fifty plus years of his right. life. You know, Bob Gimlin right. has been talking about this for how many years? You know, right. and when you look back at the Native American legends of these things, their stories of them, their their recounting of of how they lived side by side with them. Mm-hmm. Man, there's there's a lot of history there, and and people just can't seem to once they get into it, they can't seem to walk away from it, um, feeling satisfied. There's. There's, I'm just the type of person where I, whether it's good characteristics or not of me (laughs) or of mine, I feel like I'm going to have to have like a smoking gun experience to, in my heart of hearts, say that they're real. Like it's right there. I see it. There's nothing else it could possibly be. Now, that being said, like when I have spoken to these hunters or different witnesses that I've spoken to and they've told me their experiences, 
And that moment, like, I 100% believe them. It's like this weird dichotomy because I believe them. But I don't know if I believe it for myself. Like, it's very weird. I don't know how else to explain it. You believe it as a truth for them, but you don't know that you can believe it as a truth for yourself. Is that what you're saying? Well, kind of, except I think the truth is the truth. You know, like, Mm. I feel like in this case, it is, it's either real or it isn't. But I just, like, they are so convincing that I would never even think to say, oh, well, you're making this up or whatever. And they've seen it well enough that it can't even be mistaken identity. So I have a hard time. Like, I have a struggle with if I say I'm not sure if they exist and am I calling them a liar, you know? But I'm I'm not. I just, like, I feel like there's just this teeny-weeny little bit of me that reserves judgment until I see one. And again, whether that's a good characteristic of mine or not, I can't say. But I just, I have a little bit of skepticism left where could, (laughs) could this not be real? I don't know how else to say it. But many, many, many days I'm, like, convinced. I just, I kind of let this little doubt come in sometimes. Like you're saying, I put so much time into this. My free time, you know, I have my full-time job, and then I have two side hustles that I do. And then coming up here, like, several weekends in a row, I'm going to be at these outdoor shows speaking and getting reports from people on my own time and my own dollar um, because I want to know. Because I want to know. But I just really, maybe it just comes down to the point that I just, like, really, 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 really see one. (laughs) You know, how do you think you'd react to not not being in a vehicle, but and not at 100 or 120 yards away, uh, passing a uh, indescript uh, dark figure? How do you think you would react? Um, I don't know, but there's a good chance I'll probably be terrified. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I always say I'll probably be myself, but I, you know, I've been in the woods and I've been in the woods by myself and have seen black bear. Um, when we were out in Montana, we saw a grizzly bear, but luckily it was kind of far away, but um, or it was far away. So I do get startled. I have, I have a bad startle reflex <laughs> and, you know, it can be a deer that runs by. I'm like, ah, so I probably would have some kind of immediate terror um but when i have been like for example i was on the elk scenic drive in pennsylvania i did it by myself the one time and i'm driving through and there's all these scenic overlooks that you can stop at to look for elk and i went got out of the car at one of them it was kind of like a semi-circle path you could walk along and then there was a scenic overlook well, I get to the scenic overlook and it was awful because it was all overgrown <laughs> and you couldn't <laughs> see anything <laughs> But I heard something to my right and I turned and there was a pretty large bear that came out of the, you know, foliage and everything there out of the bushes and was standing right in front of me. And there was really, I was backed up against this scenic overlook, like, I think it was wooden. And it's standing right there. And, you know, I know enough about black bear that They're not, like, really out to hurt you or anything, but it's a very large, intimidating animal, and 
it was sniffing me, you know, and like the nose where and make noises and stuff. And I'm like, oh man. Um, so I was scared, but I didn't move. I, you know, people will say, well, I don't, more people get pictures of Bigfoot. And I'm like, man, I didn't move a muscle with that bear. Yeah. You know, I just had my camera in my hand because I was going to take pictures of the scenic overlook and I put it in my pocket because there was nothing. So I wasn't going to move. And I did say, I was like, hi, bear. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please don't eat me. But it, and it finally moved along and I waited. So I was patiently waiting and I went the other way. But I don't, I truly don't think I'm going to be the one that, that is brave enough to like start taking all these pictures and things. Cause I'll be like in a state of self-preservation at the moment. I would, I would imagine. I mean, you never know until it happens, but I would imagine I would, I'd be kind of scared and like waiting for the moment for it to not hurt me. And then I'd kick myself later, but I think think my optimal sighting would be, um, like in a, in a power, power line laneway, a power line cut with it about maybe 75 to a hundred yards away. I'm Mm -hmm. not moving. I got a good steady look at it and you know, it's, I've got a few seconds to get into the car if I have to, if it starts coming my way. Um, I think that would be my optimal um, view of one that, that would be the most, the most comfortable Um, being in the woods uh, far away from a far away from your vehicle. um, That, that whole, Hey, I see you peeking around a tree and then it turns around and walks away. I don't think that'd be good enough for me. I, I, I would not be able to get out of there quick enough. <laughs> no, I know. Like I just, I was camping with friends and we were, we were pretty remote, but I, we just, I heard something scary sounding and I had to like shuffle on over to the, to the, uh, little bathroom area. <laughs> I, was, I am not, I'm not the most brave person. That's for sure. I mean, I'm brave enough to do it anyway. And I love camping and I love solo camping. You know, I try to take precautions and all that, but I, um, so I'm brave enough to be out there, but yeah, if it came down to, I walk around the corner and Bigfoot's there, I'd probably cry. <laughs> More than <I'm> brave. <laughs> Just being honest. Yeah, I think uh, I don't I don't know about the I don't know about the crying for myself, but I think uh, I think there'd be a very good possibility that I would fill my drawers, uh, right. <laughs> especially especially if there was not an uh, an immediate egress out of the area uh, that that would suit my needs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm supposed to go to Alaska this June, and I'm trying to save up the money for it for this like adventure of a lifetime that I was asked to go on and we'll see if it happens, but we're supposed to take like two or three little jumper planes to the interior where um, we were supposed to be looking for Bigfoot and it's like grizzly territory. And I just like, I haven't even confirmed that I'm going yet and I still have nightmares about it. (laughs) I'm like always a grizzly coming around the bend, but yeah, I'll need some depends if I go. 
<laughs> Amy, what's some of the, uh, what's one or two of the most compelling things that you've been made privy to that that really just are are something that your brain goes back to time and time again that you know these things exist because the the biggest one that popped out when you said that is when the one time that I um, I've been out to the nest area with the Olympic project out in Washington state times now and the first time that I was asked to go, which I was like, you know, like just even the fact that I'm a part of the group now, you know, I think I was telling the story about how I was never going to be in a group again. And then Derek and Shane called and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to be in a group, but there it's just a wonderful group. So I'm happy I made that decision. But, um, I was asked to go out there with two of the primate zookeepers that are in project zoo book. And we flew out and we were, you know, hiking around and everything. Um, I had been up on like higher ground and the two primate um, specialists and Derek and I forget who else was there. There were any of us had gone down the ridge down to where the certain nests were. And so I'm standing up there when they come back up and I I will never forget the look on their faces and they're not, the Olympic project doesn't say that this is for sure Bigfoot doing this nest making, Mm -hmm. you know, and and neither were the primate specialists, but I will never forget him walking out of walking up that uh, ridge, you know, that, or the, from the Valley and they come up there and the looks on their faces were just astonished. Like they were just amazed by what they had seen. And I looked at them and I remember specifically catching my breath and I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're real. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh, like they're real because these people work with, with gorillas and, you know, different primates every day of their working lives. And they were that, um, awestruck by it. Yes. By what they had seen. I, Cause I'm like, I'm an English teacher, you know, like I can look at it and be like, Oh, that's really cool. But I don't know, you know, if that's it, how cool it is, you know, right. I don't know how cool that is. Um, I'm a, I'm a volunteer naturalist, you know, and I, I learn as much as I can, but I definitely, I don't work with great apes. And so for them to be that excited about something that they had seen, you know, up close and personal excited me. And I'll just never forget that moment. Cause like, Oh, Holy cow. Like they're real. They're real. So uh, that the nest up there that you were seeing is that, was that prior to, the deconstruction of it and, and removal of it or were there additional ones? And that first, um, and that first discovery of the nest site, they found over 20, I want to say 26 nests, over 20 nests. And so at that time, I'm not sure how many they have, um, you know, gone into to try to get evidence mm-hmm. at this point. But at that time, they had only disturbed three of them. 
I believe, because they, you know, in a perfect world, they could have just left everything alone and set up cameras and all of that and never had to worry about going in and touching the nests. But knowing that, you know, this is private property owned by a logging company that could come in there any minute, um, you know, they were given the opportunity to study these by that logging company, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they needed to move in quicker than they wanted to. But, um, yeah, they they got to see a bunch of nests, but they got to, like, really look up close and personal with some of them that they were uh, trying to get evidence from. And it's amazing there. It's like you, you know, skeptical Amy was kept thinking, you know, could it just be people doing this? You know, like, there could be a hermit that lives out there mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe they're doing this but when you really see it and really look into it like these nests i really don't believe it's people like i don't believe it's somebody just living out there the nests are in so many different um stages of degrading they would have had to been there for really like years and years there's nothing protecting you from the elements overhead so a person i think would make like i could make a better shelter than that you mm-hmm. know taking my Bible classes and stuff where I wouldn't want to be out there in one of those nests, but they're very similar to gorilla nests. And then I don't think it's a hoax because again, you'd have to be doing this hoax over years and years and years with the likelihood of somebody ever seeing your hoax, like almost zero. like it was a, it was a logging surveyor that found them just accidentally an area that, People just, you know, I I was just about to say that people don't go to, but obviously he was there. So people do sometimes go to it, you know, but very infrequently. So it would have been the dumbest hoax ever, (laughs) you know, so I don't know. But um, it's just they're really fascinating. They're really fascinating. And the amount of scientists and people that have gone out to see them and, and they're what they have come back with is really Um, remarkable. What do you know as far as any of the evidence that they've gleaned from, from that? Has there been any, um, anything that they've been able to pull out of there that they've had DNA tests done on or. They have hair samples. They've had, um, foot casts and hand casts, uh, lots of audio. Um, it is not as easy as you think to get DNA from, you know, the type of hair that they're finding, whether it's degraded or just not the root of the hair, and it's expensive Mm. to do that. But there are ongoing um, studies being done right now, and they're trying um, eDNA, you know, where you can take the soil. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And when I do speak different places, especially to people who aren't into Bigfoot already, because it's easier in a lot of ways to talk at a Bigfoot event, you know, because they already want to hear this stuff. But when I go like cold Turkey and, and the guy in ahead of me speaking was speaking about coyotes and the guy after me is speaking about, um, I don't know, whatever guns you're going to use or whatever. I don't know. And usually it's always all men, like we were saying at the beginning. Um, and I'm up there talking about Bigfoot. It is, I just lost my train of thought, but I think what I was going to say is that 
there is a lot. Oh, yeah, I always tell the audience there's like a lot of science going on behind the scenes and bigfooting that people aren't necessarily aware of. And every time there's a there's a lot of overlap between Project Zoo Book and the Olympic Project. A lot of us who are in the OP are also in Project Zoo Book and vice versa. And then we kind of have, you know, spread out from there. But um, every time we've had a new scientist, and many of them are not into Bigfoot at all, and they're just like, okay, I'll come talk about this, or, you know, I'm a little bit interested. They, I, I don't think we've ever had one that didn't say that they had no idea what was really going on, and they had no idea how many eyewitness accounts there are, and the footprints, and audio, and all of it, you know, they just had no clue. They thought, like I did before, that Harry and the Hendersons was it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I think that's exciting. And as somebody who loves nature and animals and everything, I think, you know, I get excited if I see a bunny rabbit in the woods, you know. <laughs> so um, to think that there could be something else out there is just that that thing that keeps me going a lot. I want to ask you a couple more questions and I'll let you go. Um, you, you brought up an interesting point uh, back when you were talking about the nest is, you know, we could have just put up cameras around that area instead of disturbing everything. Uh, that leads me to ask you, what do you think the, the issue that seems to uh, surround this phenomenon about why trail cams and, and that kind of stuff doesn't really, um, suss out any any good evidence it doesn't uh, you know it almost seems like they're aware that they are there um, right. and i've heard i've heard you know and i've even references in other shows it's like if i came into your house and i hung a uh, a small five inch by six inch picture on one of your walls in your house and without you knowing about it and then you come home and you walk through your house, how long do you think it would take you to recognize that that picture wasn't there before and didn't belong and wasn't something that you put there? Um, right. I think if you look at the the area of the forest that they they live in and that is their, their regular haunt, as it were, um, I think it would be pretty obvious that they would that would be something that they would pick up on whether it's the smell of plastic whether it's the sound of uh, acute hearing hearing the sounds of the electronics inside when they're clicking the pictures or possibly the ability to see the infrared lights uh, that that produce a light in the evening uh, in the darker time so that they can be uh, the pictures can be taken i i just think i think from from whatever reason they're aware that they're there and they avoid them. What, what are right. your thoughts on the, on the whole camera thing? Yeah, I, I would say pretty much exactly what you just said, that they're very aware of it. I would think I also, I personally don't think there are that many Sasquatch maybe, um, you know, like to, to be on those cameras. So I feel like, I mean, we obviously have to have a breeding population, but, I don't know that I think there are as many as some people do. Um, I always, I get that, you know, that's, I'm sure you do too. That's probably maybe the most, that 
that and like, why don't we have any bones are probably the two most asked questions. Right. I always direct people to look into the Cross River Gorillas. Because if you Google about the Cross River Gorillas and the first time they were captured on video, it was just this century. And they're over in Africa on the border of Cameroon and Nigeria. They think, um, scientists believe that there's only two to 300 left of these gorillas and they were cryptid, you know, until not, you know, not that long ago that, that they, the natives were just telling stories, but they're real. And so if you look up that first camera trap footage of these gorillas, they're coming out of the woods, you know, um, mostly females and as they're coming out of the woods, they are all looking at that camera. So, like, they all see that camera. You can right. tell that the camera. So they're kind of coming closer, and they're looking at the camera. And then from the back, there's a silverback that comes into view. And he looks at that camera, and he bluff charges it. So I think about that. They're smart, you know, and like you said, you know, that's their home. They see something weird there. They're wary of it. He's like bluff charging it. And they know that that camera's there. And so I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if perhaps these cameras make some kind of a noise, um, something that gives it away, or is it just that they can see it from, you know, a little bit further away and they avoid it? I, that's what I think. Because we haven't gotten a lot of footage of a lot of different animals, not just, not just Bigfoot. Sure, yeah. And if and if Bigfoot is closer to a human, then I think they're even smarter, you know. And I don't. It doesn't bother me strangely <laughs> that we don't have it, because um, it to me it kind of makes sense that we don't. But I get that a lot, especially with with hunters, you know, I'm in these woods every day of my life and I've been everywhere and I haven't seen any, so they don't exist. And I'm just like, yeah, well, you haven't been everywhere at every time all the time. So it doesn't bother. And you considering yourself in the, you know, I've been in the woods every day of my life hunting. Well, hunting season isn't every day. Deer season is, is a short window of time. Bear season is a short window of time. Elk season is a short window of time, you know, so, you know, like, the hunters are great because there's either the ones that laugh at you, and I do not care, obviously. Like, I laugh along. I get it. It's Bigfoot. It's kind of funny, you know, like, to them. Or you have the ones that absolutely, they're real. They saw one. It affected them. You know, it's just, they're so different. So different. Interesting stuff, for sure. You know, I mean, with my... With my show, like I said, uh, might have been before we started recording, um, you know, I cover everything from psychics to remote viewing to Bigfoot and haunted houses and, and you know, everything. Um, but, man, I tell you what, when I have a Bigfoot episode, the audience spikes. Mm. It You know, the listens... <laughs> The listens go up. It's a, it's a very popular, very popular topic. You know, people yeah. are interested. And, you know, it makes me wonder, like, the populace of just my listeners, 
it makes me wonder at times, like the populace, are they, are they more the Finding Bigfoot kind of crowd? Are they mountain monsters uh, <laughs> fans? Are they um, maybe more onto the YouTube uh, documentaries that are, you know, some which are just god awful and clickbait and. You know, on, all of it. on Amazon, you know, I've paid for some that is just like, okay, it was only a dollar ninety nine, but I want my money back because it was that bad. Right. Um, I bet you have, I bet you have a good mix in there. You know, I go out a lot wearing. I have too many Bigfoot hats, Bigfoot T shirts, <laughs> all of that, and I, and it's not just myself, but a lot of us that are interested will wear those out and about. And I'm always surprised about getting reports just from doing that or my Bigfoot stickers on my car, you yeah. know, like some up and they'll be, I saw one and they'll, they'll tell you their story. So I bet you have a, a lot of different people. I, I'm sure that we do. I, I tried going on a date uh, within this past year and uh, we ended up going to a pizza joint uh, by the lake and, uh, as as we were walking in, a gentleman was walking out, and he was wearing a, a Bigfoot T-shirt, and I had I had my Kreider Exploration T-shirt on, mm -hmm. and he looked at me, and I looked at him. And, you know, of course, we both nodded at each other, and um, I said to the woman, "This this was our first first date." <laughs> I said to the woman, "I said, hang on a second. and I turned back and I said, "Hey, you know, I wanted to talk to him about it," and. Uh, I, I was basically, I was saying, you know, hey, I'm hosting Bigfoot and Brews in Dwajak, Michigan. It's only about 10, 15 minutes from here, you know, just letting you know about it. And he's like, oh, man, I'm from North Carolina. He says, I'm only here for the weekend <laughs> visiting uh, family and stuff. He said, I'd love to come, but I won't be here. And uh, and I can remember the conversation after that with the woman that I tried going <laughs> on a date with. And, uh, boy, it was, it was, boy, what a tough crowd, man. She was not having any of it. And, uh, I was like, you know, I said, you seem like a really nice person, but I said, if we, if you can't even, you know, show yeah, a little, no. show a little bit of interest towards us, it's like, right. we don't have a chance in hell because this occupies a lot of my time. Right. No, so. I hear you. I hear you. That's funny. So. There's, there's Better fish in the sea that are open to <laughs> <laughs> Amy, do me a favor. Let mm -hmm. everybody know where they can find you, where they can find information about your groups that you're in, um, where they can find information about where you're going to be speaking. I might even talk to you a little bit later on about the possibility of uh, coming to Bigfoot, some Bigfoot and Brews too. I would love that. That would be fun. Um, you can get a hold of me at my email, bigfootamy at gmail.com. Made it easy, A-M-Y. Um, we are working right now on a website for Project Zoobook. Our goal is that people can ask the different scientists questions. We have anthropologists, primatologists, um, primate zookeepers, wildlife biologists, marine biologists, all kinds of smart people on there that are interested in Bigfoot, some who are who call themselves knowers because they've had their own experiences. 
Um, so we really are working on that website right now. Uh, the Olympic Project has their own website, if you're interested in that, and the Nest site. Um, but, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Amy Boo, B-U-E. So you can always message me or friend me on there. And, um, like I said, I have a lot of uh, outdoor shows coming up. Um, I do different uh speaking engagements on that circuit. I've, I've just been gearing more toward those, but I love, I love the Bigfoot community and I love to speak for, for that as well. I'm doing, I'm going to be speaking in Ohio at the um, Sasquatch Triangle Conference mm-hmm. this May. And I do a thing in Mill Creek Park in the fall. Um, I've just been doing, I've had to say no to quite a few um, conferences because of the research that I'm doing. Uh, but I love to do both if they, if they work out with my schedule. But again, I'm, I'm supposed to be going to Alaska. I hope it works out. Um, do you ever watch the show Alone? I have, yeah. So at one of the outdoor shows, I was um, invited to speak at one of my heroes, because I love, you know, this is like little Miss uh, school teacher here who didn't know much about anything. And now because of Bigfoot, I've gotten this passion just for survival and taking survival classes and all this stuff. And so um, I met Roland Welker from season seven. He's from Pennsylvania, but he lives in Alaska and he's who asked me to come out there. Um, so we're trying to do a collaboration. If it doesn't happen this year, it'll probably happen next year, but I'm shooting for this year. It's just, you know, takes a lot of money and I raise it myself. I fund yeah. my own research and, um, and that's fine. I do what I can. And um, so I've, I haven't done as many uh, speaking engagements because of my actual research, but I love to do them too. So yeah, that would be fun. Well, I've got one more question for you. It's a throwback to your um, your anthropologists, uh, your uh, your primatologists that yeah. that you saw the look on their face after having seen the the nest. And I thought the word that you used was interesting. You said that they looked very similar to nests that gorillas would make. I'm sure you had a conversation with these people. Was it just similar? Or or if they would have come upon those themselves without any prior knowledge to why they were there, would they have just assumed that they were gorilla nests? Or were they different enough to be, boy, these are really similar, but... Yeah, I think they were they were different enough to think it was something else. Like it, like I don't, I can't speak for them, but from what we've talked about, I think I'm safe in saying it wasn't like they thought like it was escaped gorillas or anything like that. They they talked about how the formation of them, like if you look into the nest site, that original nest site, they were up on like finger ridges, and they would all be positioned around the tip of the finger and down here at the edge of the finger mm-hmm. <laughs> and doing like this um was a 
like a means of egress, really. It was an embankment down into a stream, like a salmon run stream. And um, so the way that they were set up with sight lines to each other, because one of our primate zookeepers um, has been over in Africa, so it's not just that they're working with captive um, apes. They also have been out in the wild with them, too. Um, and just the sight lines that they would make to each other was very similar. And the structure of them was very similar. And they said what was the most interesting to them, or one of the things that was the most interesting to them, two things. One was that they could almost see a personality in the different nests, like different creatures, mm-hmm. whatever they were, had made them. Because when they are you know, taking care of their charges, They'll say, okay, so-and-so made that one. We know, and -and so-and-so made that one because they make it the same each time. So they could tell that some of them were made by the same creature. I don't know what else to say there. Um, The other thing that they found really fascinating was that at least a few of the nests were very small, and they were up in some bushes and not very well made. And as soon as they heard about that and then saw it they thought immediately of when a mama gorilla will teach their young how to build a nest and they make practice and so a lot of what we talk about between project zoo book and the olympic project is about how perhaps these nest sites because now they found a second one um could be maybe could be some type of like nursery like a birthing area they're very remote, lots of food resources, a means of aggress to get out of there if they're threatened. But yet um, set up on a in a in principle with a very good visibility all the way around. To each other. Yeah. yeah like just to each other, like almost like for protection there. Yeah. So, you know, um, I mean one major difference is that gorillas, you know, primates usually make new nests each night, you know, and these seem to be a lot better made where they would be something that was there for a long haul. But um, another thing that was interesting is that, you know, if you look at orangutans, they make, they have young, I think it's like usually every six to seven years. And that kind of you know, rang a bell with looking at the nest site that you could tell that there were uh, was a lot of time between the different nests being made. Because some were pretty fresh and some were almost, you couldn't tell what they were, Yeah. you know. But yeah, they would definitely have known that that came upon them and that they were nests of some kind. Not a bear bed, they brought in a bear bed, a bear specialist, brought in a wood rat specialist, you know, brought in a lot of different experts in their fields to try to weed out what these are not. So whatever is making them, it's really interesting. Yeah. Something cool happening out in the Olympic National Forest for sure. Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and doing this. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And Thank I'm you. Sure, I'm sure my audience will appreciate hearing your your perspective on it. And I'll appreciate them listening. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Good night. All right, guys, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Amy Boo. What an accomplished woman. 
and I hopefully will be able to bring you more female perspective on this topic in the future. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can and share the show. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with coworkers, throw it on your social media. Just get us out in front of more people. The more people listening make for more experiencers coming forward. If you've had an experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please, please get a hold of us at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram or Facebook, both at UncomfortablePodcast65. And until next time, my friends, stay uncomfortable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.